Hello everyone, I'm Thomas from Daft Punk. Random access memories, Daft Punk. Daft Punk and Thomas Angui from Daft Punk. There you go, Daft Punk. We assume that's Daft Punk under those helmets. Hello everyone, I'm Emmanuel from Daft Punk. Daft Punk mixes of Daft Punk. Daft Punk! Let's get back to the to Daft Punk. It was because of, you know, Daft Punk. Daft Punk. Daft Pumpkin! Daft Pumpkin! Hello, robots, big and small from around the world. It's time to get lucky because it's alive. 2021, a Daft Punk podcast. And we're back again. We're back. You know what? We digitally love you a little bit too much to stay away. So we're back now, harder, better, faster, stronger. We're going to... We're going to meet our Veritas quota. Remember yeah. all this pun energy when you were struggling with them in yeah. the intro all the other episodes? Every yeah. other episode, it's like, like oh, oh, shoot. Uh, you got like it. four just railing just, off right off the bat. There's just something about us. I, honestly, that, I'm going to take a step back and say Veritas quota is something I really ex- I really respect that. That was good <laughs> wordplay, and I think it deserves to be highlighted. Yeah, we're meeting our Daft Punk Veritas quota by coming back and talking with you guys uh, We are about our two favorite French robots. Like we said in our last episode... We're gonna be uh, we're gonna be back with Daft Punk specific uh, uh, content whenever whatever the fancy strikes us. Yeah. We we've completed our task, our goal, but there's plenty more to talk about, uh, uh, including this week. We have music journalist Ben Cardu on our feed talking for over an hour about our favorite French robots, who just happened to be also. His favorite the French odds? robots. What are the odds what that we would have the favorite? We the did same? not ask him if there's favorite French robots. We are assuming it is an assumption. <laughs> he could right. have other French robots. He could have he, French robots that he prefers over. He Daft did. Punk. There I don't are. Think, I don't he, think so. Okay, so, he wrote the book on yeah, French robots. He, he so that's. Uh, uh, I, I think it's safe to assume they're his favorite French robots because music journalist Ben Cardu is uh, releasing a book called Daft Punk's Discovery: The Future Unfurled out September third. On Velocity Press. On Velocity Press, we're gonna put a link to the book in uh in our uh description and on our posts about this episode, because uh there is somebody out there in the world as equally geeked out about Daft Punk as we are. Just like we spent the last four months uh uh chatting about these guys, he spent uh, an incredible amount of time researching their most influential album, Discovery, and wrote an entire book about it. Yeah, you wanna you wanna hear the the, the Spark Notes yeah. back of the book description? Uh, I'm really excited to, to read this as well. But uh, Daft Punk's Discovery is a record that looked into the future and liked what it saw. An album that predicted uh, the electronic music explosion, YouTube, and the end of privacy, while dragging. Uh, soft rock back into vogue. Discovery was not only one of the best albums of the 2000s; it was one of the most prophetic. Uh, uh, one of the most prophetic. The kind of record that makes you wonder: How did they know? You can draw lines from Discovery to Glass Swords, Kanye West, EDM, Auto Tune, iTunes, Beyonce, Guilty Pleasures, social media, and more. Discovery's footprints can be found all over the modern world, but it also looked back to Daft Punk's childhood, to Van Halen records, Japanese cartoons, and even Johann Sebastian Bach. Discovery was a record that co-founded uh that co-founded what many fans uh co-founded many fans when released in 2001 thanks to its blatant pop hooks and unlikely sonic bricolage it was a record that was and still is widely misunderstood discovery's impact has only become clear with the passing of time as daft punk have been proved right time and time again i love 
how effusive that is because it is exact. It is on brand for a live twenty twenty one. Andy loves somebody <laughs> being effusive about Daft Punk. What? <laughs> I love somebody being over the toply. Uh, yeah, effusive about Daft Punk. Get out of here. I also like that he uses the word bricolage in there because yeah. we talked about how Good obsessed word. Tomas was with that specific word during yeah. the Discovery tour uh, era. Uh, uh, for those of you out there, uh, bricolage is a French word that means like uh, making something out of uh, out of uh, materials around you, uh, like a sock puppet is bricolage. A collage is bricolage. <laughs> a, a, a collage of cheese. <laughs> a bri a bricolage. A bricolage. I get it. I got you. I was with you. They're yeah, with you. Yeah. The, the listeners the are listeners with you are now with as well. Us. Um, so we are uh, we are incredibly honored to talk uh, to Ben. Uh, the uh, the entire hour is almost exclusively Daft Punk, but we we pop around to some of the other. He's got a stuff. wealth of knowledge, yeah. just about the the, you know, the journalist first... perspective of of you know you know he said he wrote his first re review in ninety one. Yeah, uh, so he's been doing this for thirty piece. years. Yeah, uh, um, and uh, uh, yeah, um, like I say at the end, uh, I, I you know it was part of our goal mission here to. To uh, romanticize these guys a little bit um, because it is uh, it is influential and important and um, sometimes um, dance music and disco and things don't don't get um, right. solidified uh, as a legacy thing as much as uh, other genres of music. So I'm so happy that people like Ben uh, are, are out there um, showing people how important this shit is because it rocks. It does. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, please enjoy our interview. With Ben Cardew. Oh, follow him at Ben Cardew on Twitter. Um, there's a link to his book uh, from Velocity Press uh, on the show description, so you can find it there. And if you read it and you like it, send uh, send Ben uh, a message or an email or, or talk to him about it or send, send us, us something and we can forward it to him. Yeah, you can reach us at info at alive2021.com. Uh, send us anything you want. Um, uh, thoughts about Daft Punk, your favorite, uh, your favorite Daft Punk songs. We did get we did get a good uh, group of fans sending us their top ten Daft Punk songs good. after our uh, epilogue episode. So send those along. Uh, we we love connecting with people about Daft Punk. So uh, connect with us. So without further ado, here is our conversation. Are you sure, there's not any more ado. I'm pretty sure there's we have, we not have reached, much more ado. We have I think reached, we've got the we've, right the right level okay. of ado. So without <laughs> further ado, uh, here's our conversation with uh, journalist and author Ben Cardew. I am so excited to talk with Ben here. I, I'll say uh, as we start, since uh, since I connected with you, Ben, I have had. Uh, Several instances where I'm reading an article um, and I'm like, this is really interesting or this is a great take on this album to look up uh, at the byline and be like, oh, my God, I get to talk to this guy very soon. <laughs> yeah, right. Exciting. Um, so uh, we're very, uh, very excited to have you on the show to talk about Daft Punk and dance music uh, at large. I, I for, for you, Ben, um, how did how did you get into this world? What what uh, what was your entry point? I mean, um, I always think because I'm I'm a fair bit older than 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 you. I'm I'm guessing I was born in 1977 and grew up in in the UK. And one thing I've always found is that dance music was kind of like really present when I was growing up. You know, like you had sort of those early house hits, um, which were you know actually big, like number one hits, number five hits, like going in the charts when I was about ten. 
Um, and, you know, because the UK is quite small and quite centralised, you know, you'd see the big chart show and you'd see, you know, like Jack Your Body or something like that. Mm. And w when you're 10, you don't think, wow, what's this incredible sort of, you know, crazy musical craze? Like, oh, yeah, that's, the, you know, pop music, more pop music. And, and so it's kind of always, always there, really. Um, and um, then I think round about when I hit sort of 13, 14, 15, um, I got more interested in um, like Aphex. Well, for a bit, I was really interested in, in like, you know, sort of quite kiddie rave things like Alternate and The Prodigy. Yeah. And then a bit later, moved on to um, like Aphex Twin and Artificial Intelligence things. That's uh, that's right up Devin's alley here. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> it's the best. I could go on for the, about that for a very long time. <laughs> so, But all this, you know, before like I was going to any kind of clubs or, an, or anything like that, I was just sort of listening to it. Um, and then, you know, when I actually hit 18, 19, started actually going, actually going to clubs and seeing people DJ and that kind of thing, that's when I, I, I really got into it. But it's kind of, it's almost always been there, you know? Yeah. Um, the, and, yeah. The, the groove is in the heart, as we like to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you're, you're like a 20-year-old when homework hits. Uh, and obviously that's huge in the UK too. What was your, what was your first experience with Daft Punk? Like I saw, I saw your tweet about uh, seeing them open for Basement Jackson. I, I can't even believe how much of a dream that would be to, to uh, witness. Well, do you know, I've been, I've been trying to, to tell everyone that story and I've been trying to confirm what actually happened because it's one of these gigs that seems to have like basically disappeared yeah. off in, into, into the ether and like literally it looks like I'm the only per well no me and my mate we're the only people on the planet who can actually remember it um but like Daft Punk I think I first heard like about 1995 when Defunct came out for the first time um and you know it was like one of those uh it, it was a it was a brilliant record that I think a friend had in his in his collection and I, I just the other day I was looking back on the tapes um what the tapes I used to have and like there was I used to have like a recording of them playing at Tribal Gathering 96 which I got off the radio uh -huh. so you know even before like homework came out I was I was I was a fan um and I was I was starting to review things at the time I was lucky enough to get like an advanced tape of homework and and I went to see them DJ just as homework was released like sort of january 1997 um and i was a massive fan from then on in and the basement jackson that was a few years later that was like when i was living in paris like it was either 99 or 2000 um and sorry i've got to tell basement jackson again because i'm yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely we absolutely want to hear <laughs> yeah, it. i'm we, sure yeah. i'm sure all the listeners want to hear it <laughs> well but basically okay so i was a big fan of basement jacks as well and i was living in paris at the time and um, I saw Basement Jacks were playing a gig, and I thought, oh great, you know, I really like their 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 debut album. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a ticket. And so me and my friend um, bought tickets. I think I went down and bought the tickets, and I I sort of got got back actual physical tickets. And it looks and it was like special guests Thomas Bangalta and Guy Manuel de Homo oh Christian. Because like, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't announced anywhere. It was just like when you got the ticket, it's like, all oh, right, okay, they're supporting. So I got really really excited, and like Basement Jacks were playing. I think it was Elysee Montmartre, which is like. 2,000 people or something like that and I thought this is going to be massive like yeah. after the battle everyone's going to be around it's like Daft Punk in their hometown and after but after Basement Jacks played almost everyone left and there were like literally 20 of us just watching them DJ for I think it was about an hour 
And it was just like, I can't believe that this is happening. That is literally a dream come true. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, it, it is a funny uh, phenomenon sometimes where, like, the hometown cro- crowds are, like, over it. They're used to it. So they don't realize how special it is. Well, the, the, there's a... Um, I'm sorry to mention my book already to, in a very clear yeah. moment, But there's a, there's a kind of chapter in my book where I, when I go on, when I talk a bit about this and how, like... Basically, when I was in, in France, I lived in France from two periods, like 97 to 98 and 99 to 2000. And people liked Daft Punk, but like, they they weren't kind of quite heroes. Like people sort of, they had like really big hits, but the, the bands people really were all behind were like Air. Like everyone wanted Air to be a, a massive hit, you know, and like Daft Punk sort of kind of cool but not not that much if you see what i mean yeah like, i kind of thought i'd go there and be like oh my god they're the biggest thing ever and they kind of weren't people had a weird like slightly sniffy attitude to them one thing i really enjoyed your piece uh on medium about the kind of secret history of basement jacks and, the rudy thing uh no it was a it was a, a piece from a couple of years oh, ago oh. that kind of goes through their early catalog and it was really fascinating at the end you kind of talked about how some folks predicted that basement jacks was going to be the act that kind of broke through in the way that Daft Punk did. And I, I find that really fascinating, especially, you know, hearing about them close out a show in Paris, uh, yeah. you know, after Basement Jacks and everyone leaves. That's really, really interesting to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, certainly, and I think for quite a lot of people, that like um, the first albums of both Daft Punk and Basement Jacks like, left them kind of level pegging. Like, you know, they were both sort of really big underground acts that kind of broke through in a way and it wasn't obvious who was going to be the biggest one you know because Daft Punk weren't as big as they would then become and Basement Jacks were it's not I mean they they got bigger later on but they they, they were kind of like a really big act at the same time and again that's really been lost because like now I mean Basement Jacks are well respected but like Daft Punk are these like incredible gods who changed everything forever and Basement Jacks like yeah you know they could (laughs) So if that was if that was something of a general feeling about them at that point, what do you think changed? Do you think it was discovery and and its its longstanding legacy that changed, or what what changed about Daft Punk's perception? It was uh, it was Coachella, basically. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because like Discovery did well, um, but like Human after all, really did not do well at all and people were like nah Daft Punk are over they're finished you know this album is, is rubbish I mean I quite like him after all but like you know the general perception was that it flopped they'd done really badly um, and they kind of yeah they felt finished and then you know they did the Coachella show and the uh, the Alive tour and it just brought them back massively and suddenly like they were absolutely the biggest thing ever whereas you know when like a year before th- there'd be nothing and again something I thought wrote about in the book is like you know apparently when they played Australia on that tour the demand for tickets was like the biggest thing ever whereas human after all it only got to like 40 or something in the Australian charts and that was just like a year before so it was really like a, a really quick turnaround and really it's quite unexpected yeah did you see that tour I did, yeah. I saw them play Hyde Park in London. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was my uh, yeah. I'm I'm like ten years younger than you, and that I I saw I saw the tour. Um, I'm from like a small town here in America that 
didn't really have uh, a thriving electronic music uh, scene. And I went to Lollapalooza and uh, couldn't convince any of my friends to go see these uh, robots. I went by myself and it, uh, I wouldn't be here talking to you about Daft Punk without that experience. I wonder what, what, um, what you thought of, of that tour. I mean, it was so, so good. <laughs> maybe it didn't. I mean, maybe it didn't have quite the same impact on me because that was sort of I'd seen them live before, and I was already a really big fan. Um, but not to take away from the fact, I mean, it was incredibly, incredibly good um, at the presentation, everything, and it was just so like enjoyable. It's just like if somebody if somebody had asked me, like, what do you want from a Daft Punk tour? I probably wouldn't have been able to answer, but like that, that was the answer. It was yeah. like uh, all of their all, their songs like mashed up in an absolutely brilliant, danceable, clever way that's not too obvious with like brilliant presentation. Um, and there it was, basically. It, 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 I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, what What was? Did you see the homework tour too? Um, I, yeah, I saw sort of two stages of it basically. Like they did because when they when they started off, they were doing. Um, DJing, right. I think they call it Dex and Effects, you know, so they were DJing, but they had like samplers as well. Right. Um, and I saw that in Manchester. Um, and then I saw them actually play live on that tour at the Glastonbury Festival, um, which was another uh, amazing gig. Yeah, it was really fun too. That was that was a thing that I um, didn't know a ton about before starting this project was what, what everything looked and felt like on that tour. And it was cool to go through the um uh pirated tapes or whatever and kind of track the evolution of that from just kind of more a DJ focused thing into what it eventually became i just it there this these guys relationship to the technology of this music is is one of the most fascinating things i i learned about uh um this 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 whole experience um what what are your thoughts on on that like Tomas's nerdiness about machines and and stuff <laughs> like that? Well, I think what it is is like they were so lucky to have found each other. Yeah, yeah. Because like Tomas is a total nerd who you know read manuals and and <laughs> really understand how things work. And Guyman is the bloke that goes, yeah, that's done, that's finished, that's the one, and that's a perfect perfect combination because I think. All right, they've both done really good solo work. Okay, Guy Man's not quite solo, but like you know, work apart from from Daft Punk. Yeah. But like, um, I I mean, I think it was really interesting that like Thomas Mangalter, his first solo thing is going to be doing uh, scoring a ballet. I know oh, that's <laughs> so Thomas Mangalter. I know. You know? <laughs> I know. Absolutely. That I just I I'm, I'm in love with how much of a nerd he is for this stuff it, it just like it really speaks to me <laughs> yeah i mean we we talked about in the electro electroma uh, episode how you know part of that research is he he read 200 like back issues of like cinematography magazines or something <laughs> uh it's, it's very 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 nerdy yeah. in the coolest way uh absolutely um so um you're you've been a huge fan of them since the beginning basically what specifically about discovery did you lock into as something that needed to be explored as as in depth as as you have here 
I mean, in one way, one way it's really simple. It's it's my favourite Daft Punk album mm-hmm. um, by quite a long shot, um, and which is nothing against the other ones it did, but it, it just is. And also, it's like one of those albums when I remember listening to it for the first time and just being like, "What on earth is this?" I love that. I love that feeling. You know, because when I listened to Homework for the first time, I was like, "Yeah, this is great." But I kind of get what it is. You know. Yeah. Whereas, like, Discover's like, what's that guitar doing? What, what are you playing? You know, what's that weird, like, harp or something like that? Um, so that's part of it. The other part of it is there's just a lot to write about it. Like, I, I thought about it quite a lot. Um, and I reckon I could write about, I don't know, 20,000 words on homework, for example. Whereas, like, I've written 70,000 on Discover, and I could have yeah. written quite a lot. Because, you know, you get the whole visual thing, you get doing the film, you get um, the Daft Club. Um, there's just so so much you can talk about, and also another reason, quite frankly, was because it was its 20th anniversary, and I quite like that, like quite neat. Yeah, you know, absolutely. That, like, neat time. Yeah. Is this a project that you've been knocking around your head for a while? Yeah, since um, I think for like a couple of years, basically. I mean, I started to write it in earnest last last summer, like summer 20. 20 but i've been thinking i'd like to write something about daft punk for a while um and i think realizing that it was discovery's 20th anniversary kind of made me like you know think okay well i'll do uh i'll, I'll do something on that then um and <laughs> the timing i like worked quite well because then they split up <laughs> yeah I, I know i know so you were you you were working on this before they broke up i yeah i yeah. had a draft pretty much finished yeah before they broke up and then i had to do a lot of rewriting <laughs> yeah so yeah you you wake up uh in the morning and uh you've got a, a like a draft of a book about these guys what was your first thought when, when they broke up well do you know like my first thought was i'd been speaking to their manager like i, I was i was trying to get an interview with them obviously i didn't think i would but i was trying to get an interview with them for the book and if not you know maybe they could check some facts so i was speaking to their manager like 10 days before oh my god um and he was like yeah okay no that's good it was just like introductory speech just like you know we'll make a time we'll speak next week and like, i was like yeah I, you know the next week was like email i could do this time this time this time it's like yeah i was I'm a bit busy i was like how about this time? you know and so the first thing when I heard the news was like, oh, that was why he was so busy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and my second thought was, oh, God, I've got a lot of work to do. Um, and my third thought was, actually, I mean, sorry, I, I was obviously sad they'd split up, you know, as a fan of the band. But like, yeah. at the same time, from the book perspective, it's like, well, this isn't the worst thing in the world in terms of like having a proper ending, you know, because previously yeah. it just ended yeah. like, oh, will they do another album? Who knows, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, this is a good point to finish on. We, yeah. Uh, we've brought it up a few times over the course of our project, feeling the same way that the finality of of the, the term of, of Daft Punk, right, really helped in the research, you know, because there's not the speculation tied to it. So um, that 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 did, I, I feel like that served our project as, yeah. as well, as much as we would rather have them they, still be making music, they, right? Yeah, they, uh, they're my favorite group, and they've occupied my brain for a, a, a significant portion of my entire life. But I, yeah, I never would have started this project without without the without the breakup. So it was like, I we we were we were uh, talking about it, and I was 
telling them about some old re- interviews and stuff I had discovered because I was in grieving or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, we should do something with this energy. And, and, and yeah, it is, it, it is an infinitely fun band to, to uh, go back and research what was going on around these times because everybody is on board with the mysteriousness and, and they don't talk and all this stuff. But if you go back, there's a wealth of information about these different uh, eras of projects that they've done. Well, this is, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book, because, like, it's not that I want to demolish the mystique around them, because like, you couldn't do that. No book could do that. But, like, at the same time, there are um, various myths of grown up. Like, I was talking to someone in, in uh, I was talking to someone about them in the park, and they're like, oh, of course, they've never shown their faces. Like, yeah, they have. Like, like they've <laughs> so for years. Yeah. And, you know, there is this kind of mis- misconception in a way that they're like, you know, these totally anonymous gods of music and it's like well their music great they're absolutely brilliant but they're not like you know they are fundamentally two people from paris you know they are flesh and blood people who you know have had a fairly dodgy band before and you know have made mistakes and i think that was one of the reasons because for me that actually makes them love them more yeah you see what i mean it's not like demolishing it it's like actually no i love the fact that they're just two people from paris and like you know in the early promo photos you can see them smoking and they look about 12 years old it's like i love all of that (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah and and um yeah as like a huge fan of them i'd kind of accepted the fact that they were just these two mysterious figures that didn't really talk all that much but once you start digging in they, uh, especially Tomas, does love to talk about stuff. Yeah, and and this, what what you chose to write about was one of my favorite uh, times of our show to look into because there there was so much going on. You you mentioned it briefly, but Discovery is this kind of like uh, flashpoint in the history of pop music. But a- around this era, there's so much more going on. I. I thought it was so interesting how forward thinking they they were about the industry at large with the Daft Club and all that stuff. Um, they are they're like they have this ear for the music, but they also are really uh, on the cutting edge of like the business of the music industry. I wonder what what kinds of stuff you learned about uh, Daft Club and and their relationship with the industry behind or the money behind the industry uh, while you were researching this book? Well, one of the first people I managed to speak to was a man called Simon Scott, um, who uh, worked with them uh, on the Daft Club, and he's actually credited uh, on the Discovery sleeve um, uh, as concept and art direction. I was just looking it up. And um, basically, he... Uh, has, I don't think he's ever really been interviewed about his role in, in, in the Daft Club before. Um, and it was just sort of fascinating. Like, basically, he said, you know, they had this idea that they wanted to explore more about, you know, what the album could be, and and his role was to sort of um, protect, you, you know, to help them to help them do it with the technological know-how. But, like, for example, apparently, according to him, their record company at the time was like, what is this? What are you doing? You know, they weren't, like, particularly um, in... You know, it wasn't that they were against it, but they didn't quite maybe totally get what it was or why they needed to do it. Um, and he talked, for example, um, about like if it was a success or not and kind of mistakes and, 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 and that kind of thing. Like, for example, they were going to 
apparently they were going to include the the software on the card so you wouldn't have to download like 200 megabytes which seems like you know nothing now but at the time <laughs> it was quite a lot um but that didn't work and i think like it, it was just I, one of the things that really has always puzzled me about the Daft Club is like why they ended it when they did, you know, yeah. because like they ended it just as like iTunes was opening up, people yeah. getting into downloading music and, and, and just as broadband was taking off, basically. Um, and I asked him about that and he was like, I think the point was just, you know, the point was to do it. You know, the point wasn't to create this massive online site that's going to live forever and, and will be you know, like an alternative sideline. Maybe the point was just, you know, to, to prove that it could be done. But then when it was actually done, I can't think they kind of lost interest. And also, like someone from their record label at the time said that they they basically operated on their own timetable. So, you know, normally if you release a song, you, you need the video, like, I don't know, two months before. But they were just, like, given the video when they were ready, even if the song was already out. <laughs> so, like, like, Daft Club needed a, a supply of content, a steady supply of content. And she was basically saying, I didn't think it was going to work because of that, you know, because they, they don't really do deadlines in that way, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that um, I never really thought about it, really. But like one more time was their highest charting in the U.S. at least song before Random Access Memories came out. And they they released it at a time when the music video drove everything they released the single and they're like, we'll get to the, we'll get to the video. <laughs> and that's really crazy that, it, that a song in that era, in the TRL era got that much play without a video. And they just trusted themselves that it was going to work. That that's really incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a really distinctive way of looking at things. I mean, and I think the funny thing is I think they could, they had a very good deal with with virgin i don't know the specifics but i think basically they had complete freedom over whatever whatever they whatever they did and so virgin couldn't really force them to do anything and also they were doing well so it wasn't like you know there's a lot there was a lot of pressure on them you know they had to to have a bigger hit because they're already doing well you know they were saying like a couple of million million albums or whatever so like virgin knew they were going to make money on it um and i think it was quite a relaxed relationship and you know if one more time hadn't been a big hit it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been a big thing particularly you know discovery yeah. would still have sold a lot of copies i imagine yeah yeah i like you hear the story that they they sat on one more time for like two and a half years yeah. before they released it and and in your mind i always wondered like did they know that the kind of hit they had on their hands and then you watch Interstellar again in the entire basis of that movie is that that that's a song that makes the evil record company kidnap them so that he can have the biggest <laughs> song in the world so I think like yeah they knew how big that song was gonna be but you know another thing that people did not like one more time when it came yeah people yeah. hated it like I remember like I, I quite liked it I was quite but there was loads of people like what the hell is this why are they sounding like Cher you know so it wasn't like a, a, a definite hit from the from the start. I mean, it sounds like it now. You listen to it now, you're like, yeah, that's just going to be a massive hit. But at the time, a lot of people were like, what? What's Daft Punk done? You know? <laughs> that is that is something I've wondered about because you know we're looking at this in hindsight. But if you're coming off of homework, if you're a young fan of dance music, and your favorite group are these tool, you know, young Parisian dudes who are very cool, 
making what was acid the mood, techno. Yeah, what was the mood around them pivoting to now we are robot cartoons and stuff? And making glam, <laughs> and making glam yeah, rock. That had to be divisive for dance music fans. Yeah, it was. I mean, the thing is, like, if you if you look at the music they released in between um, Homework and Discovery, I mean, like, their, their solo projects and things, um, you know, things like Stardust and, and all the Creedamore stuff, it pointed to basically them making more house music, you know? Yeah. Um, I remember, like, the, you know, the DJ Falcon, his 12-inch, his was only his only 12-inch, Hello, My Name is DJ Falcon, mm-hmm. like, came out, I think, 1999. A lot of people thought that was Thomas Van because, like, a lot of people were like, this is what I think Daft Punk sound like. It's like filters and stuff. So, and there wasn't really much of an indication that what Discovery would be like, which is why a lot of people were quite were quite shocked by it. Um, and in in terms of like the robot disguises, I honestly, and I think quite a lot of people thought it was just a bit gimmicky, you know? Sure. Because at, at first it was like, well, okay, all right, you're, 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 you're pretending to be robots, that's good, I'm sure you're going to go and do something else. And they became utterly iconic. And it was an utterly genius move. Like, I think it was really clever, but at the same time, yeah, at the time I was like, yeah, okay, all right, you're, you're pretending to be robots, that's fine. Go, you know, good, 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 good luck to you with no idea how iconic it would become. It's wild because, you know, they, they do projects and they kind of leave them and move on to the next thing, you know, whether it's Daft Club and the technology or these eras, the, you know, they're always doing something new. The the helmets are the one thing they kind of hang on to yeah. for, you know, that the, the vocal longest. Order. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think like the thing about the helmets is that um, if you you know it's round about what two thousand and six, seven, eight, then like social media gets gets really big, um, and at that point, I would imagine they 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 suddenly realised oh actually having helmets is a very good idea yeah you know like maybe I, I think it was Pedro Winter said at one point that he saw that scene in Electroma, which actually they'd eventually use an epilogue, he saw yeah. that scene in Electroma when they blocked the robots. He was like, oh, I guess the robots are finished and, you know, they're going to do they're going to do something else. So, and I think maybe they didn't want to do the robots forever, but then by the time, you know, this kind of 2006, 2007 kind of came around, it was like they'd realised, oh, this is a total speculation, but they'd realised that it was really good keeping their identity kind of secret and it meant that they could, you know, not be Thomas from Daft Punk all day. They could sort of, you know, take their kids to school or whatever, and yeah. people wouldn't wouldn't recognise them. Yeah, and they're... you know, camera phones were coming out, you know, and and I think that made it pretty hellish for for celebrities, basically. Yeah, there's that that scene with Pharrell in the Daft Punk Unchained, where he's talking about the the freedom that Tomas and Guimond gave themselves with the helmets, and he's he's getting swamped, uh, trying to get in a limo, and he can't, you know, he's like, I can't go for a coffee, like. There's yeah they they somehow had their cake and ate it too right they somehow became this global phenomenon and they are also dudes that can just be people that's yeah. it's an incredible thing they gave themselves I mean be honest would you recognize Gee-Man if you walk past you in the street uh I might think he's Eddie Furlong from Terminator <laughs> 2 Judgment Day <laughs> I I think um I think one of the cool things like like one of the early on um interviews with the helmets you know like like to you know in the context of 
keeping control of the narrative, which we know is something that they want to do, right? Like early on, somebody asks uh, Tomas a question and he says something along the lines of, oh no, there was, you know, there was an accident. I have a robot brain now and a human heart, but I can't talk about before, you know, I don't remember my human life before. But like, I think that that, you know, that if you do it once, it's a gimmick, right? If you do it in one album cycle, it's a gimmick. But I think that, you know, from, from my perspective, what's fascinating is that, not only does it give them the pri- the privacy they want, but it controls the narrative of Daft Punk in a way that I think truly, you know, you know, it doesn't work without the quality of music, right? But I think if the music's good and you have that gimmick, it's no longer a gimmick. It is a, it is a thing. Uh, I, and well, I, I'm wondering, like, what, what do you feel about the control aspect of, of all of it? I, I think... The interesting thing about it being a gimmick or not is I think like at first when they introduced the robots, they were pretending that they were actually robots. Yes. And, you know, interviews around them were quite painful because it would be like, you know, the interview would be like, why have you come to L.A.? You know, obviously, meaning why have you, Daft Punk, physical people come to L.A.? And the answer would be like, oh, it's, it, you know, it's better. The the sun is better for our circuitry or something like that. <laughs> and after a while, you're just like, oh. Yeah, exactly. And they, they kind of they kind of dropped that. Like they yeah. kept to the, the robots, but like they kept on. Um, you know, but they sort of stopped pretending to actually be them, which I think was quite good. I think that would have become a gimmick. Yeah. And it in be... terms of control, I think the brilliant thing is, it's like what what it means. It means you can do what you want. Like they could go. They didn't have to hide away. They're not like anonymous. You know, they have an image and that image is the robot. So you can go to the Grammys if you want, or you can perform with Phoenix if you want, or you can, you know, guess with Kenny or whatever it is, you can do it. And you can, people are happy, like people aren't like, oh, take off the helmet. Cause like they're happy to see the robots. And that is, that is a brilliant control because it's total control of your image. Um, and people aren't trying to un- unmask you. There is something very funny about like how, how, accepted and cool it was that the robots were just sitting in the stands at the Grammys thinking about how ridiculous it would be if Dead Mouse wore that thing to the Grammys and yeah. just sat in the audience. That's really funny. And everybody was just like, yeah, the robots are there. It's just it's it's funny to track their uh, the way they talk about it through their career, too, because around Discovery, they're all they're so excited and, and doing the circuitry stuff. And when people ask them about the, the helmets or if they'll ever take it off or anything around human after all electroma, they are clearly not having fun with it anymore. And they're clearly bored and over answering questions about it. And then by the time random access memories comes around, it's just this accepted thing that people don't even ask them about it anymore. It's just like, here we are talking to two robots and they just, they just kept pushing it through until it was, it wasn't even a discussion point anymore with them. It's just the, the brand. And people loved it. And people loved it. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was wondering what is one or the the most interesting thing or a couple um, really interesting things that you learned uh, researching this book? Well, there were um, a couple of things that I don't think have um, been – I think this is the first time they've come out properly in the book um and one of them possibly the most interesting one is basically discovery started 
um, as a live action film, which um, is like Todd Edwards talked about this and he was saying like, you know, the idea was like, you know, each song would would, um, accompany an actual scene and there was some sort of film about the robots who would rise up and fight themselves only to realise they were actually fighting uh, fighting other robots or something like that, and like the, I, I'd never heard this before. That is so cool. That's um, wild. <laughs> and uh, well, I mean, Todd Edwards did talk about it very briefly in in, in one interview, um, but I think that's kind of disappeared off into the ether, so we won't we won't talk about that. But God, like, what would that um, look like? Yeah, right. <laughs> oh well, man, that, that... I, uh, I'll just I'll just lay in bed tonight thinking about what that movie would have looked like. Well, also, the thing is, I can't work out how... And this is one reason I would have loved to talk to them for the book, because I can't quite work out how that would have worked. Like, at what stage in recording were they thinking of doing that? Because basically, he was saying, when he was recording Face to Face, he they explained about the, the film, and they explained like the kind of scene that Face to Face would, would soundtrack, which would be this kind of battle scene. So obviously, at that point, when they were recording it, they still had it in mind. But like, how does that fit? with recording one more time, like God, a couple yeah. of years before. And then when did they then give up on live action idea? And did they then immediately go to like the animated idea? Like, I, I, I don't quite know how it all fits, if you see what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I, oh man, I, that, that's one thing I really love and appreciate about these guys. And is like through the process of learning about them for the show, have gained a deeper appreciation for them as artists is the, their ability to take a sm- seemingly small idea or like um, starting off point for a project and then just keep running with it until it becomes this entire like big new out of control thing. Like, you know, they 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 start Ram with the idea like what if we were live recorded drums and it it just blew up and into this bigger than life project that spanned countries and continents and all all that crazy stuff. And even, even the helmets, like they were like, Hey, what if we, what if we kept the covering our face in fun ways to the point where they were talking to NASA scientists about the technology and, and jumbotron specialists to get the faces to that, that it's just, it's really inspiring to see them, really cling to their ideas and run with them and let them become bigger than life and put the work in as well i think that's one thing about them is they really 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 worked hard like apparently recording discovery was uh, took ages and like left thomas particularly very very tired by by the whole thing um because you know there's a whole concept and they had to go through with it and then um, I mean, random access memories. How long did that take to record? Yeah, yeah, you know. But but they they saw it through, or like you know, all the money they put into like preparing the the alive uh, alive two thousand six two thousand and seven tour. You know, but they they did it. They they did the work. Like even though they didn't produce all that much music over their uh, twenty eight years or whatever it was, they they put they were working. They were working like every day. It looks like, and you know. It, Obviously, obviously they they had it. They're incredibly talented, but at the same time, you know, they did, they didn't just sort of lay on on their lay back on their laurels. They were like, okay, no, we're, we're going to do this, and this is going to involve like, two years of work, but we're going to do it. And I love that about them. Me too. Yeah, it feels like they don't put a 
um, a limit on a project until it's the limit that they want to place on it later, if that makes sense. They don't yeah. enter in like, like it feels like, like most recording artists or whatever. It's like, I'm going to make this album and it full stops at the completion of production or whatever. But it feels like uh, a lot of times in Daft Punk's career, you know, they set out with an idea that they will put a, 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 a punctuation mark when they feel like it's done. Not like, you know, yeah. and, 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 Again, intentionality is all there, and, and it's exciting. Yeah. The but. one, the one time that they did put a limit on themselves, right? Is there is there Human one record all, yeah. that is Six kind weeks. of joyless and and not looked <laughs> not looked at uh, as fondly as everything else they've ever done? So that's interesting. Yeah. But I, th- I think the thing about Human After All was, in a in a way, it's, it's the same kind of thing of seeing a vision through to the to its end. Because if the vision was to do it in two months or or whatever or six weeks. Mm-hmm then it takes quite you've got to be quite headstrong oh, yeah. to be like okay this probably could be a lot better because it probably could i'm sure with a lot more work it could have been a lot better like yeah and be like no but this is what we're doing we said we're going to do this i mean i think the other thing is i think i've always seen human after all as like an escape valve basically i mm-hmm. think they were like discovery had taken so much out of them that they they couldn't have made another sort of album over two years. The only way they could make an album was like, right, we're going to do it. We're going to do it quick. And, and that was it. But it, I, I just, yeah, it, it feels sometimes a little bit like demos. Human yeah. yeah. And, and like, you know, if they had to spend another month working on each of those tracks, like they could have been incredible. But And to your point about it, like that album could be like having been like it could be better it is the backbone for alive 2007 in a way that i i never really fully processed like every like those though that is the building blocks for that entire tour and you watch that stuff blossom into into fully realized stuff uh in the tour music where that it that it becomes transcendent yeah yeah i mean that 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 was that was thing i was saying earlier that that, like basically people thought human after all was massive flop and like the the band were finished and then actually seeing it on on the tour I'm like, oh this bit kind of works this bit's kind of cool i like i like i like this bit just totally rejuvenated um the band but also you know the the album you know yeah i, I think like for me right the, the things that you know hold hold back i guess for for lack of a better word uh human after all is the meticulous uh, you know the meticulously created discovery you know like that that makes me want more discovery right and then i personally ha- have a hard time divorcing Alive 2007 versions of Human After All songs from Human After All. You know, I listen to Primetime of Your Life and I want the 2007 version or whatever. Um, and that doesn't mean that, you know, I think there's intentionality in Human After All. They set out to do something in this more compressed way and they did it. So I don't know if like the the good or bad critical acclaim lens that people want to throw on it really even fits. Um, well, I mean, what, one of the one of the chapters in my book sort of clangingly mention it again is that, that basically human after all is the anti-discovery yes like yeah. discovery was like you know light and human after all was dark and discovery was like shiny and you know human after all was like very much not shiny and um you know discovery was about like revisiting childhood emotions and and like human after all was about um you know showing off a certain tension a certain, certain sort of stress so basically I, I find that fascinating how it is just the 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 opposite of it, 
And but I, I, you know, I agree with you. There's about four tracks on Human After All I really like. Yeah. Yeah. And after listening to a live 2000, you know, after live 2007 album, I was like, oh wow, I've got to go back to that. And the, honestly, the tracks I didn't like before, I still didn't really like. You know. Yeah. I, st- I still, you, you kind of like thinking, oh, when's that other bit going to come? And oh, it's not. That's you know. <laughs> yeah. There's no. Yeah. There's not as much movement on those tracks. But they didn't spend as much time with them. The 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 phrase that we kind of locked into to explain to describe the sound of human after all was uh wet splats <laughs> it's a wet nice. splatty album <laughs> i'm i'm very excited to read your book and i yeah you know i i i don't want to spoil it if you have other projects down the line but are there other albums you could spend this much time digging into like are there other records that you feel as intensely about as discovery <sighs> very well that, that's something i'm I've been thinking about quite a lot, um, and I think th- there are basically, but um, I'm trying to work out like if there's something I can I can bring to them. So, as I said, like with with Discovery, I was kind of I'd lived in France, I'd been a fan of them for ages, I'd seen them live, so I thought there was something I could actually give. Whereas uh, I don't know to give an example like Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. I absolutely love, but like, what could I actually give about that? You know, what could I say that hasn't already been said before? So, um, I'm trying to. I'm sure there are some some other options. I've got I've got another book project sort of bubbling around my head, which is related more to like it's not related to an album or a particular band. It's kind of widespread. I would I would love to like dive into another album like this, um, but I'm not quite sure. Um, I'm not quite sure if I if I could because you know your your uh, um, author bio says you wrote your first review in '91. So I, I just I, I like hearing your thoughts on music as somebody that has has been professionally thinking about this music for you know 30 years or whatever. Uh, um, what uh, what how about that? What are, what are some um, albums that you've gotten to review over the years uh, that you're like I am so lucky that I got to talk about this thing publicly uh, when it came out oof um that is a very good uh question um i'm trying to think of some of the one like do you, do you know what like just kind of a couple of weeks ago i released uh, i reviewed the emma jean thackeray album for pitchfork um and i think that's gonna be um i think that's a really important album i think it's a brilliant album and hope i'm sort of hoping you know, it might help to get it like more um, a wider audience. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any, if there's any. Um, I mean, like, uh, to be honest, I'm really glad to kind of review almost any album, and ever so occasionally, yeah, there are ones where I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I, I get, I get to do this. Um, how did you find your way into music journalism? Just because I, I always listen to a lot of music, um, and I read a lot about music. And I think I started reading, you know, again, when I was when I was when I was sort of 12, 13, you know, Britain had three weekly music magazines, uh, mm-hmm. what, newspapers, and I started reading them. And I think it's one of those things, you know, if you read enough reviews, you're like, well, I could probably write a review. Um, and that was that was how I got into it, basically just sort of like copying, um, copying what they did. Um, and I, I did that like throughout university, like as a student newspaper. 
Um, and then there's a few years when I didn't when I didn't do it very much. And then there's a one which is oh, I could possibly make a job out of this, and kind of got into it. Um, got into it like that, but it's really just like reading a, a, a lot of a lot of reviews, basically. That's awesome. Yeah, I um, I come from a journalism background too. I started. I, I was I was in the sports world before I uh, before I left the industry, but it it's a uh, uh, hats off to to fighting through some tough <laughs> some tough years in in, in journalism because uh, I I couldn't hack it after a while. I mean, it's interesting. Like you you mentioned sports, and I I, I love um, football. I mean, soccer, but I couldn't write about it. Like I don't I don't sort of know enough about it. Like I remember once I thought like, oh, maybe I could get into sports writing, you know. And I sort of sat down to try to write something about a match I'd seen. I was like. I can't think of what to say, you know, whereas like typically when, when I, you know, when I sit down with an album, I almost always think of something I want, I want to say about it. You know, even if I'm not reviewing it, I'll kind of like almost always be like, oh yeah, I, you know, this, this is interesting, you know, for, for this, for this kind of reason. Um, and I think, you know, when you, when you have that instinct, it kind of makes sense to, to go with it. Yeah. You know, I appreciate it. Um, you wrote, uh, a review, uh, you wrote a great review of, a. Uh... 3MB featuring uh, Juan Adkins the week that Andy and I went and caught Juan Adkins. Yeah. It's it's very fun to see Detroit techno, you know, front and center on, on places like Pitchfork because, I don't know, Detroit it has such a powerful techno scene and sometimes I don't know that Detroit always recognizes yeah. that. You know, it, like the Juan Adkins gig was great, but it's another thing where it's like he's doing a hometown show and it's like a small crowd and it's like this is a guy who should – have gigantic crowds every time he plays yeah because you're in detroit aren't you yeah we are yeah we're here and um over the last i would say like five years it's it's starting to feel like the city itself is will will recognize its its place place in the pantheon of dance music but for a long time it felt also like um the city at large wanted to keep it like this hidden secret that, that that we have this history with with this music so it's nice to see nice to see more and more people uh recognize it because it will be like this thing where you meet somebody from germany and they're like detroit you're from detroit like techno man techno and and people here are like yeah whatever <laughs> well it's like one one thing i remember like when um I think it was last year, Inner City released a new album. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, it's a new Inner City album, first Inner City album in like 20 years or whatever. And I, I, you know, the various places I wrote for, I was like, I really want to review this. This is really, really important. It's like, you know, imagine if like Joy Division came back with an album. Yeah. It's not happy. You you know what I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, nobody wanted me to, oh no, I did review it for someone in the end, but like, it was a really, really hard sell. And I was like, and and there's a moment when it's like, hang on, am am I wrong? Is this like not a big thing? The inner city come back. I was like, no, no, they really are. They're like a really, really important, really in, important band. You know, same thing happened with the Ten City album this year. It's like, oh my god, Ten City, like another legendary, absolutely properly legendary dance music act. You know, um, and again, I was, I was trying to, you know, pushing to get to review the album, and like, not many place, places wanted it. And again, I was like, but but they're Ten City, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, one of the most important like bands in 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 house music like you know in elec- in elec- electronic music and but yeah <laughs> kevin yeah. saunderson is uh the other person that i could talk about as much as daft punk he's you know we see him a lot and his sons play out a lot here i his music is just it just 
resonates with me. I love him. Well, I mean, when, when I was, particularly when, when I was younger and first getting into, you know, techno and things like that, like, it, I, I was like those German people, you know, the idea of like people being from Detroit was like, whoa, you know, like, does it's Detroit, you know, you invented techno, I can't believe, and you know, whenever a DJ came from Detroit, it was like, oh yeah, this is going to be good because he's from Detroit, you know, it was, it was quite, it had an incredible cachet, it still does, but it was just like, back then it really blew our minds. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool to, to hear there's folks like um, helping add to the legacy of, of this music. Uh, we, we talked about it here. Like I've, that, that seems to be part of Daft Punk's goal with a lot of what they did with Random Access Memories was like lionize where this music came from in a way that you know, uh, like disco and house music don't don't get romanticized the same way as like the the beginning of rock and roll does so it's cool it's cool that there are are people that are talking about this music's roots and history and and helping uh uh cement its legacy you know i mean they, they were a really good band for like acknowledging their sources and and saying you know helping to give a helping hand to other people and to or to like you know shine the spotlight on on their heroes which is another thing i really liked about them i mean like you know, having a, a song called Teachers on your, on your first album, where you're like, yeah, these are the people we've been inspired by. It's kind of very, very generous, particularly this is your, your kind of first album. You know, you, you probably in your first album, a lot of people are like, no, 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 I'm not inspired by anyone. This is all my own work. And they're right. like, no, no, these are the people, you know, who, who inspired who inspired us. These are our teachers. And I thought that was, again, like she had real generosity of spirit. Yeah, it's been, it's been their uh, MO as a group since the very beginning, that they are... They're drawing from the nostalgia of what they fell in love with as artists, as kids, while looking forward technologically and, and thinking about how they can use those, the sounds that they fell in love with to push music further down the, the road technologically, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, so I think we're, yeah, I think we're about to wrap up. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, You're um, very welcome. Do you... Uh, uh, you want to um, just talk about the book in general terms and, and where people can get it and, and all, all that stuff to close out? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, it's called uh, Daft Punk's uh, Discovery, The Future Unfurled. Um, and uh, you can get it from, well, it's by, published by Velocity Press. Um, you can get it from them directly um, or uh, it will go on wider sale. Uh, soon, I think if you get it directly from Velocity Press, like you know, you, you can you can get it earlier. Um, I really hope people uh, read it. I really hope people enjoy it. And um, also, I kind of really, you know, if, if people do read it, um, I really want to know what what they thought. You know, get in touch with me on on Twitter or or whatever at, at Ben Cardew, and just let me know what you think because I'm, I'm kind of fascinated to know what people make of it you spend all this time doing something push it out into the world um and some people have already told me but like the more you know the more the more feedback the happier i will be i cannot wait to read it um uh i i'm so excited that it exists and you're in the right place because we have a um We've built a, a little, a small little following of Daft Punk people that we've gotten been contacted from people on five different continents about these guys. So uh, if you're out there listening to us, check out Ben's book, uh, Daft Punk's Discovery: The Future Unfurled. Uh, and you know what? I think it would be fun um, for us uh, 
down the line to do like a, a book club episode where we come Ooh, back and I love that. Come I back love and that chat idea. about the book and, and try to uh, um, get more people excited about get purchasing it. So uh, uh, thank you so much for your time, Ben. It's it is so much fun to talk about um, this music in this world with somebody as uh, as equally geeked about it as we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure for me too. Holy motherfucking shit. What a ride that was. <laughs> I thought you were going to come up with some creative ways to not swear there. No. Right away. Holy mother. <laughs> That's very funny. What, a, what an incredible treat that, that was, was to really talk fun. to. Um, somebody who likes all the same crap we do. I, uh, that's I, I, I'm really glad that. Uh, thank you, Ben. Thank that you, Ben. Really awesome. uh, that thank was really awesome. Thank you for speaking with us. Yeah, when such he a was cool thing. when he was talking about like um, uh, locking into like early dance songs as yeah. a kid, and I made that. Uh, you know, the, the groove heart. is in the yeah. And then, then we, we found, found out he wrote <laughs> uh, a piece for his uh, his his solid gold column for DJ Meg that's about that song. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so uh, I know everybody likes that song, but I. We really we, like that. Everyone song. likes yeah. grooving the. the but, I like but I like. Well, you know what else was really cool to me? Again, like, uh, <laughs> you know, bringing up other albums, bringing up Pet Sounds, and, and yeah. you know, again, bringing. I I, I I dig somebody who. I watched a Pet Sounds documentary yesterday. Yeah, I mean, um, we yeah on Wolf. Amazon Prime. Ben, ben, if you're ever in Detroit, come hang out with us. Is yeah. all we're saying. You're our people. You guys rolled right over my pet sounds bit. What I got the it? bit. What was, I your, just kept what was your pet sound bit? Wolf. You don't need to double meow. back on the bit that didn't land that hard. Sa- <laughs> <laughs> I've got more important animals to talk about. Um, so at the beginning of the episode, we were talking about French robots. I found a French robot, and I don't know what to do with this information. The digesting duck was an automaton in the form of a duck unveiled on May 30th, 1739 in France. The mechanical duck appeared to have the ability to eat kernels of grain and to metabolize and defecate them. It didn't actually have this ability. The food was collected in an inner container. The duck is thought to have been destroyed in a fire in 1879. Wait, so did it, it had, it would eat a kernel and then, sh- so yeah. it had a compartment for the kernels. Yeah. Did it have a compartment of shit? Yeah, it? It, had a, it had pre-stored feces. <laughs> oh my God. And Voltaire wrote about it in 1741. Oh my There's a, an automaton called the digesting duck and it's one of the earliest French robots in the world. <laughs> so that's. I don't know what to do. One of history's earliest Can French robots. Can you imagine robots? if we did a 23 episode deep dive into the digesting duck? <laughs> what the hell is that? That is a, I don't know, is that a, I don't know if it's a more French or a robot, sounds, but it is a equally French robot. It is, it, 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 that might be French. Modern, there's a section on the Wikipedia page for digesting duck called modern influence. Wow. <laughs> I thought you were going to say there's a, a subset on the Wikipedia page for French robots. <laughs> no, I really don't you know can't what to get, do. You can't get much Frencher than having Voltaire write about you. No, you cannot get much, That's much, one much thing more that French than the that. robot duck that has over Daft Punk is Voltaire never wrote about Daft Punk. Voltaire never wrote about Daft Punk. <laughs> Punk, you're right. <laughs> there are several. There in the there is a Wikipedia page called "Category Robots of France." Yeah, <laughs> one, two, three, robots. Four, five. There's France. like eleven <laughs> uh, entries, and Daft Punk is not in here. What? Well, you better that get is, on that. That you is better, a wild. I think they mean that. real robots. That's not. a wild omission, though. To have a a Wikipedia page called "The Robots of France" and is not it? have Daft Punk on there that is, is that is infuriating. Um, I I do want to again, in all seriousness, I want to thank Ben. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, shout out Ben Cardu for for coming out on on and having this conversation with us. It was truly a treat. We enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, and, and you know, anytime you want to. And talk, now, ben. Uh, now there's going to be a, a 
Alive 2021 t-shirt just popping around Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, um, so you guys, one more time. If you want here. your own, if you want your own Alive 2021 Adapt Punk podcast t-shirt, you can find it at alive2021.com. It says two French robots on it. Yeah, so one more time, you guys. The 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 book is uh, it's called. You said uh, one more time. One more time. <laughs> uh, Daft Punk's discovery: the future unfurled. Uh, that comes out September third, twenty twenty one. So if you're in the future, it's available. Uh, if you're here now, you maybe gotta wait a week or two or whatever. But uh, yeah, t- check out the book. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, and you you heard from Ben here. Do you want to hear more about about what he thinks about all this stuff? You'll get it from that book. Yeah. Purchase it from Velocity Press. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, at the end of every episode, for those of you who um, make it three hours into some of these episodes, uh, we do a, a segment that we always and have always and will always call from my blarps to your burps. You can't rewrite the past <laughs> like this. We've never, we, we didn't name it until the very end. It's, it's, and okay. it's always been called from my blarps to your burps. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny to me. I'll go first today, you guys. I'm gonna go first. Uh, I am gonna. Uh, I'm gonna go to one of our collective favorite albums, uh, Against All Logic, 2012 to 2017. Uh, I'm gonna choose the track "Know You." There's not a there's not a bad track on that album. It's start to finish. It, it's tough to choose one, but the funny thing is, so I go. We, we're talking before recording, and I go, uh, "You guys, I, I, have we done much against our logic? I think I'm gonna choose something off 12 to 17." And then Devin goes, "I listened to that album on the way here." Me personally, I listened to it yesterday. And, listened, and Andy goes, "I listened, I listened, I listened to, was to it yesterday <laughs> too." To so all three of us, uh, all three of us, listened to that album. So that is a, a triple truly, thumbs up there. Truly, one of the albums I listened to probably once a week. Yeah. Uh, I can't it's it's uh like like random access memories or like discovery it's one of those albums that I cannot make myself sick of no matter yeah. how much I listen to it I always find something new in it yeah uh, uh it you, is truly and if you like electronic music and and dance stuff it's truly one of the all-time great albums uh in the history of this music I second that uh check it out if you haven't listened to it start to finish great album yeah slappers only slappies only uh, so yeah, I I listened to that album uh, while I was grilling last night. It finished. I still had like twenty minutes on the potatoes, so I turned on some Spice Girls. Yeah, and uh, I still had twenty minutes on the potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. I want. Can you tell our listeners that you make? Potatoes specifically, so you have more time to more spend time. outside listening to music at the grill. One of my favorite things in the world <laughs> is to bring my big, my big, huge, uh, portable speaker outside. We call it the Burt Box, affectionately. And, and affectionately, have... <laughs> that's very funny to assume that the Burt Box could be affectionate or an insult, <laughs> and to clarify that this is an affectionate. This is my. Moniker. This is this is a box of burps, and I hate it. Yeah. But the burp, <laughs> I hate my burps. I hate this this box full with burps, but the burp box I love. Um, 
Is that name is that name in origin from from like from listening to Claude Von Stroke in the woods and, on and it. vocal yeah. and, and vocal chords? Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. cool. That makes uh, sense. Um one of my favorite things in the world, uh to to um perhaps uh eat a a, a small um a gummified uh treat. Yeah. Uh, and have a, a brewski or two and sit out there and put some potatoes and meat on the grill and just groove out in my backyard yeah. dancing in front of a hot <laughs> a hot grill. Makes so sense. yesterday, yesterday after Against All Logic, turn on Spice Girls, and I look like three houses down from me, and my neighbor is also grilling. And I, I looked at him and during Wannabe with like the Spice Girl song Everybody Knows and he locked eyes with me and he had his tongs up and he started dancing in his backyard <laughs> and I was like dancing along with him and and I I'm here to tell you right now that dance music and grilling grilling and grooving is is going to solve Andy Reid, uh, connoisseur of suburban bliss. What? I just so the, connoisseur <laughs> of suburban bliss. Ooh, ooh. Um, I I've always called it beets and meats. Yeah, but it might be more welcoming to our vegetarian friends to start calling it grilling and grooving, or beets beets and eats <laughs> beets and beets and eats. But I guess that uh, it, we'll, we'll, we'll workshop it. We'll, we'll figure it we'll out. It. But it's so going to solve world wait, peace. No. So what song did you choose? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I listened. I listened. I talked about my duck. Andy's got to talk about <laughs> Spice Girls. So funny. we we recently watched Spice World and realized that they fucking groove. They do. They and just, I, as a groove. as a ten year old or whatever, when they were the biggest band in the world, I was like a ten year old boy, and I was supposed to hate them because yeah. it was like all girl girl stuff. Right? Revisiting Spice World as thirty year olds. Highly recommend. So a lot of a lot of their album tracks are like smaltzy, like romantic, yeah. like downbeat, like not groovers. Right. So you skip over those. But then some of them are like this. God you damn. know what that track has? That's that 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 that, 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 that bass, bass. That's yeah. the, that's the noise from Motherboard. Oh, that's man. what that is. It, it it that bass. No, it's the noise from Spice Girls. Uh, you know what? Motherboard I mean. has Girls. the noise from Spice Girls. Yes, in it. Mother, that, Motherboard has the noise from Spice that Girls. That <laughs> pulsating bass noise. It, I was listening to it loud, and it like. It just hooks into yeah. you. This is honestly, I've listened to this song like five times since I since I listened to it last Andy, night. Andy, grilling. spoiler alert, uh, you guys out there. Andy, in the last twenty four hours, has said sent us the, the two tracks he's recommended that Devin and I listen to in our voice chat are this Spice World song and then what's the K pop song? It's, you're into? it's Dala Dala by Itzy. Yeah, which uh, I'm we should listen a, to that really quick. I'm okay with us listening to that. <laughs> we should. Honestly. We're really, do, we're really doing an outro today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is a fun outro, but it's wild because I was noticing that this song. I said it in the chat, Andy, that this this K-pop song. If you take out the chorus and the vocals, it's just like a Dirty Bird Deep House track. Absolutely, kind of what it is. Uh, um, so I, I I'm not I'm not willing to commit to being a K-pop fan right now because right. I listened to a bunch of other K-pop stuff after this. I stumbled across this, and it's not as like clubby as as this. But this is the song "Dala Dala" by Itzy. <laughs> 
if you like Spice Girls and K-pop, you're going to love the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part that I did. This is the part, yeah. I sent the remix to the, to the group, too. This is more clubby than this. There it is. There it is. Yeah, that's Dirty that's Bird that, right yeah. there. This is yeah. That's a groover. This yeah. Um, but yeah, that yeah, that that clubby part, I could not get yeah, that out of my that's head. That's tech house ship. I'm I'm all about it. Um, look up Itzy. <laughs> Damn. Uh, so we went to see Ryan Elliott a couple weeks ago. Uh, Ghostly International's Ryan Elliott at TV Lounge, and he played a song by uh, Enoch's Tracks. Which is a she's a producer from Moscow, releasing music on Ben Sims's uh, Symbolism, and uh, yeah, he played this somewhere in a set. It's called Small Talk, and it's a techno banger. Boy, that's just that's a kick drum that's, sound. That's I like. warehouse that music, baby. Vocal sample is incredible. It's great. So yeah, check out uh, Inox tracks. Five hundred monthly listens. So this is you're getting in hot and early. Oh on this yeah, one. hell yeah! I didn't know that. <laughs> Five hundred monthly listens on Spotify. So that that boils down to uh, about two and a half cents a month. So, so if <laughs> all of you from this who listen to this listen to that, we will double that number. Yeah, if yeah, if everybody that listens to this over the next month. Listens to one of Enoch's tracks' songs Just on Spotify. It. Just She'll do go it. for 500 monthly do listens it. to 1,000. And that is the Alive 2021 bump, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. Hopefully and if Spice Girls gets a big bump, Yeah, if too, everybody you know? goes to the Spice Girls uh, uh, Spotify. Spotify, if you can't dance, only as 405,000. So, so you could really bump that up. We'll double it. With all of our listeners, we'll, we'll double, double it, that, too. We'll double yeah, and right now, if right now Spice Girls Monthly has nine million three hundred sixty-one thousand one hundred fifty-seven listeners, if all of you listen to it, we'll double it. It'll we'll be double it. it'll be nine million three hundred sixty-one thousand six hundred fifty-seven. It would be eighteen million. After, yeah. Oh yeah. After I found that that K-pop song, uh, my wife was like, "Yeah, it's all crazy like that." So we wa- we watched a bunch of different groups, and there's a group called like Blackpink, and they're. Their newest single has 1.6 billion plays on YouTube. That's yeah, it's, like it's that's, huge. That's the in, level in, that K-pop is inconceivable number. Two billion people listening to your song is like an inconceivable number. Yeah, me. and if all of you listen to it, half half the world's population is. That's very funny. You can follow me on Spotify. I've got new music coming out uh, under Devin Jetski. It's House and Techno. Um and follow me on Twitter uh, at uh, Devin Rose and I R S N I. That's exciting. Follow me on um, uh, MySpace. Yeah, on MySpace, follow really. On my my name's Darren. Dexter. You can follow me on all of the all the social medias. I'm just at the most Darren uh, is my handle on everything. So catch me out there and come watch me play video catch games. Catch you outside. Catch me outside. <laughs> catch me outside when I play video games. Uh, Facebook gaming too. Yeah. DSG gaming. I'm Andy. You can oh, catch yeah. me on, on Instagram at Andy, Andy Reid, Andy Reid, R-E-I-D, 
or uh, on Twitter, Dr. Good Tweets, or... Yeah, well, Instant Messenger. All right, Planet Ant. Yeah, all right, AIM. It's exciting. Send something to my away message on AIM. And send something to my away message on AIM. With I believe that... I don't need to say it. <laughs> what my what my fourteen year old? I don't need to say it. <laughs> it was Sheriff Andy with a number. I can't remember the Sheriff number. Andy. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good. That's is that all that stuff out there still? Is aim? Is my no, aim? No, it's it all got closed down. down. It got killed. <laughs> so you never got to check your away message. And then, uh, yeah, they put it. They euthanized it. All right, with that, everyone. <laughs> the hey, digital um, vet. Make sure you uh, make sure you have <laughs> notifications. Uh, notifications turned on for the, uh, the 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 feed here. Yeah. So um, keep us keep us digital vets of digital uh, wars. Keep us keeps, um, don't unsubscribe to us just because we've reached the end of the Daft Punk um, uh, part of the show. We're gonna be back with more Daft Punk specific stuff as uh, as we are so inspired. We're going to talk about some other albums, yeah. uh, like like uh, Against All Logic. We'll, we'll do an Against Clearly All Logic. Clearly, we can't stop talking about this. Yeah, stuff. yeah. we can't stop talking I would say, about you it. guys, keep an eye out. We'll have keep an, an announcement. We'll have an official announcement on what the future of of this uh, this channel is going to look like uh, pretty soon. So just make sure make sure you keep your keep your head up, keep your eyes open. We'll be here. We love you. You love us. It just works. So we'll we'll yeah. keep doing some fun stuff, uh, and we'll let you know exactly what that looks like in the near future. Yeah. Bye. 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 Hello, everyone. Alive 2021 is a member of the Planet Ant Podcast Network and was created by Andy Reid, developed by Andy Reid, Devin Rosenai, and Darren Shelton, with technical production by Darren Shelton. For more information, please visit alive2021.com.